turn to song 10, page number 10, oh, 4,000 tongues to sing. <laughs> turn to page 399 page 399 he took my sins away amen 399 I came to Jesus weary worn and sad he took my sins away he took my sins away and now his love has made my heart so glad he took my sins away Keeps me singing every day. I'm so glad he took my sins away. He took my sins away. The load of sin was more than I could bear. He took them all away. He took them all away. And now on him I roll my every care. He took my sins away. Let's sing it out. My sins away, took my sins away, and keeps me singing every day. I'm so glad he took my sins away. He took my sins away. No condemnation have I in my heart. He took my sins away, took my sins away. His perfect peace he did to me impart. He took my sins my sins away, my sins away, and keeps me singing every day. I'm so glad he took my sins away, he took my sins away on that last. And you will come to Jesus Christ today. He'll take your sins away, he'll take your sins away, and keep you happy in his love and say, he'll take your sins away. He took my sins away, took my sins away, and keeps me singing every day. I'm so glad he took my sins away, he took my sins away. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity to assemble in your name. We thank you so much for the missionary 
uh, Brother Campana, his family that is here today, and Lord, the burden that you have placed upon them to go to the city of Juarez, Mexico. Lord, we just ask that you would help us to have a continued burden for missions. We thank you for what you've done in the missions conference last fall. And Lord, we ask that you would just use this time to keep uh, going the momentum and the things that were started there, the promises that were made. Lord, we thank you for the blessings so far. And Lord, we ask now that you would take this time that we have dedicated to your worship. And Lord, that you would bless the singing, the special music, the preaching. Lord, most of all, the time of invitation. We do not want to leave here the way we came. We ask you to work in each heart and life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now let's take your, your hymnals and turn to page one. My faith has found the rest of place. My faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one, his wounds for me shall bleed. I need no other argument, I need no other Let's sing one more song, 822, Our Great Savior, that is past the index, 822. Jesus, what a friend for sinners, Jesus, lover of my soul.
this fourth as the last and as we do we'll have the children dismissed to the junior church Jesus what a guide and keeper while the tempest still is high storms about me night or takes me be my pilot here's my cry let me hear it Just before the message this morning, I'm going to have the children come and sing a special song.
take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, but I'm not going to be preaching from uh, one of the verses that we uh, refer to regularly here. We thank the Lord for His promise that He is going to build His church. He's going to keep that church going. And uh, it's His job, not ours. Amen? And we look forward to what the Lord is doing. But as soon as He had made that revelation to the disciples, He then, in verse 21, begins to show them... Let's just start reading verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto His disciples how that He must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter, the one who had just confessed that he is the son, the Christ, the Son of the living God, it says, Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto you. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. I'm glad church is built on Jesus, not Peter. How about you? It says, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. We're going to stop reading there this morning, and, and we look at this passage, and, and we often ask this question, especially when we're dealing with people about their soul, uh, what good would it do if you had the whole world, if you had everything the world has to offer? Our, our missionary brother here had no idea what I was preaching on this morning, but his opening testimony, if you were here in Sunday school, simply was that I wanted the American dream. I wanted that money. I wanted all of those things. He said, but God got a hold of his life, and now he's going to Mexico as a missionary. Amen? And he'll be richer for it in eternity. Because what do you give up for Jesus? I've met people over the years that have tried to answer that question and have said, well, you know, I was a very successful this or a very successful that. I, I had uh, the world uh, uh, by the tail, the tiger by the tail, so to say. And I'll, I'll tell you, uh, don't ever try that, all right? Uh, that's a very dangerous place to be in, holding a tiger by the tail. Amen. Uh, 
needless to say, you won't be here very long should you ever happen to do that before the millennial kingdom uh, after Christ uh, takes all the viciousness away. Uh, but we have all these funny sayings that we use when we talk about getting a hold of the world and getting in control and, and getting all of these things that, that we're finally going to get what we want. How many of you ever got what you wanted? And then you found out it wasn't what you wanted in the first place. Advertising is a wonderful thing, isn't it? It makes the absolutely overpriced, overvalued, unnecessary items of this world absolutely indispensable. Isn't that what advertising does? And you finally get that thing and you paid too much for it and you really don't need it, but you had to have it. And you say, what's next? I may remember the story of Alexander the Great. Anybody remember that story? 32 years old. He had conquered the known world and then some at 32. His last words as he died in a drunken stupor were, are there no moral worlds to conquer? He gained the whole world. He lost his soul. And he died wanting more. What more could he have, my friend? What more could he ask for? And the context here is, of course, we understand the, the, un, the mindset or the thought process of the disciples. They had been trained that when the Messiah came, He was going to set up His kingdom and those who were His servants were going to reign with Him. Now, we're nearly 2,000 years after that event and we're still waiting for the Messiah to come and set up His kingdom. And, and Peter saying, Lord, you're not going to suffer. You're here to set up the kingdom. And Jesus said, wait a minute. You're savoring the things of man, not the things of God. And I want you to understand something here. If you're going to come after me, there's some things you got to do. And that's where we get the title of the message this morning. What are you going to give? What are you willing to to give. We could, we could spend our whole time this morning and then some just telling the stories of men and women who were willing to give absolutely everything they possessed and everything they were. The only problem is the causes to which they gave everything they are are as multitude as the people who gave everything. We, we honor those members of the American military who are over in Iraq and in Afghanistan right now, who in other battlefields in Germany and the islands of the Pacific gave everything they had so that we could be free today. And we ought to honor those men. We ought to honor those who gave their life for the cause of freedom. That's just right. But I want to talk to you about a greater cause. 
than the cause of freedom of nations and peoples. It says, if ye shall know the Son, ye shall be what? Free indeed. You see, we've got a corrupted idea of freedom. We think freedom is the right or the ability to do whatever we want. That's not freedom, my friend. Your freedom to stretch out your arm ends where my nose begins. Amen? Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad we have some laws like that, that just because you want to stand on a crowded subway car and stretch out your arms, that you can't assault other people on the, on the subway by inflicting bodily injury in them by stretching out your arms? I mean, freedom is not freedom to do whatever you want. Freedom, true freedom, is the ability to make decisions that are for the benefit of not only yourself, but of society at large. You know, we have our history here, the last 80 or so years, divided up into generations. We have the silent generation. We have the greatest generation. We have the boomers. And we have Generation X. And uh, I keep looking at everybody's charts and I can't find out which one I fit in. I'm, I, I was born in the crack, all right? And, uh, and so I'm not quite sure where I fit into all of that. But I'll tell you, things used to be different. That generation that we called the silent generation, that was uh, before, uh, between the wars there, the ones that actually fought World War One and and lived up through the Depression and those kinds of of horrible, catastrophic events, they had only one idea in mind. They had one goal for their society, and, and they understood a few things. that They had the responsibility of raising the next generation. They had an idea there that it, it wasn't about the things I should possess and the things that I should get, but that my children would understand that they have a responsibility to carry on the great truths that we have learned. And by the way, the silent generation was the greatest church-going generation in almost American history because they understood that there there was a need for something more than just what I possessed as a human being. By the way, they raised the greatest generation. The generation that fought World War II. The generation that went out and willingly sacrificed their lives all over the world. Some of them will never know their stories, but willingly gave their lives so that we could be free today. Could you imagine what would have happened in world history if Adolf Hitler had not been stopped in his madness? But he was stopped. But then we have a generation that said, wait a minute, it's not, it's not about what I'm going to leave for the next generation. It's what I have right here, right now. They raised the kids that burned down the colleges in the 60s and rioted in the streets. Now, those freakazoids are raising children that don't care about anything. 
You see the downward progression? We have freedom to do more things today than we've ever had in history. But freedom to commit a murder and call it abortion is not freedom, my friend. Freedom to destroy your soul with pornography and prostitution and all of the degradation of immorality is not freedom. We have more drugs and more types of drugs today. And if you're not willing to go down the back alleys and slip a few dollars to some shady character to get what you want to make you feel good, guess what? You can go to the doctor and you can tell them, I'm depressed, I need something to make me feel better. And they have literally shelves full of drugs that you can get prescriptions for that will make you feel better. My granddad had a recipe for feeling better. He put the hoe over one shoulder and head out to the cornfield, and after two or three acres of corn, he felt better. I'll tell you, it works. You say, but Pastor, where can I find two acres of corn in New York City? Uh, I wish I knew, because that, that's where I'd be heading myself. Amen? Uh, maybe we'll just put some sheetrock up in the basement instead. How about that? Um we got to think about all of these things because the question is, what are you going to give? And, and Jesus put some rules here, but I want us to go to the end of the passage, to the last verse we read, and kind of get the goal. Now, we've gotten the context. Peter was thinking about the kingdom and ruling and reigning, and he said, I don't want none of this sadness, none of this suffering stuff. I'm going to be a king with you, Jesus. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. He said, you want the things of this world. You want the things of man. You don't understand about the things of God. In verse 27, Jesus tells us what the things of God are. He said, for the Son of Man shall come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and then He shall reward every man according to His works. Now, I speak to you today, and I wish, I, 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 I pray that I, I have a, had and would have and would gain in the future a better understanding of that verse than I have today. I mean, we hear about that when Jesus comes in His glory with His angels and He's going to take over this world and He's going to reward us for our service for Him. We hear those words. But are they near as important? It's paying the rent next week. Are those words near as important as having enough money to go to the grocery store or to the restaurant or to pay car fare or whatever we happen to need at the time? Has anybody here ever needed a cup of coffee? I mean, you needed a cup of coffee. You know what I'm talking about? You get up in the morning and you have to run out of the house and you need a cup of coffee. And you're trying to find a place where you can grab one of those things on the way to the subway. And now they've passed that rule. You're not really supposed to drink coffee on the subway. Uh, I asked one of the token booth clerks, I said, now, is that a real rule or not? And they said, I'm not paying attention. And I don't think you should either. I said, okay, here's my coffee. I'm going. And... Uh, 
But uh, don't take my advice because you could still get a ticket for it, all right? I, I think you can. And so be careful about that. But let me ask you a question. Do we really need that cup of coffee? We just would like to have one, amen? It'd make life easier if we had that. But do we need it? Are you going to die if you don't get that cup of coffee before you get to work? I mean, it feels like it, yes, but not really. Amen. It's okay to snicker. We all have those mornings on occasion, don't we? But this is what Jesus said. Here's your need. Here's what it's all about. He said, one day I'm coming back in my glory. He said, and I'm going to reward every man according to his works. That's what we need, amen? We need some works. We need something to offer the Savior when He comes to judge us. Because if we have nothing, it's going to be a very very sad day when Jesus comes to reward his servants. Now, needless to say, if you're not his servant today, if you've never come to that point in your life where you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you do not know heaven is your home, this, this passage is not primarily talking to you because you're not his servant. And say, but Pastor, I've been in church all my life. Well, it doesn't say that he's going to reward those that go to church. It's, he's going to reward every man according to his works. And until you're his servant, you can't work for him. Now, you know, I'd like to show up. I mean, I'm just crazy thinking preacher, you know. I'd like to show up to one of those big Wall Street firms on payday and have them give me one of those great big fat uh, $100 million paychecks. I mean, how many like to join me? Uh, why don't we go stand in line and, on payday and say, you know, we'd like to get paid with all those guys that make all that money. What would they tell us? And say, you don't work here. You're not an employee. In fact, you're trespassing, and if you don't get off this property, we're going to help you get off this property. And we get mad at God because every child's not his employee. God said, if you're going to work for me, you've got to be my servant. Amen? And that happens when you get saved. That happens at the moment you trust Him. But here's some of the things that ought to go along with that, getting saved. Verse 24. It says, Then said Jesus unto His disciples, If any man come after me... Now, we don't like to read that next verse, do we? Let him... Um, um, let him realize himself. Um, let him actualize himself. I mean, those are good words, aren't they? Doesn't it say, know thyself? No, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the fool desireth to know his own heart. 
The Bible says your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Don't try to get to know it. Amen? Why do you want to know more about something that rotten? Get to know Jesus. Amen? But in order for you to get to know Jesus, it says, deny himself. Now, you can look up that word in every language under the sun. Amen? And you know what it means? It's going to be profound. Say no. That's what the word deny means. Remember how they got so mad at Mrs. Reagan because she said, just say no to drugs? He said, oh, that is so stupid. Who in the world is going to quit using drugs by saying no? Pray tell, how in the world are you going to quit using drugs without saying no? How are you going to stop? How are you going to stop by saying yes? I haven't quite figured that out. It was like the lawyer in the jury duty we had this week. It was uh, one of those, uh, I'm allowed to talk about it now because it's all settled and I'm free. Uh, but uh, the uh, had a fireman that was responding to a false alarm at a hospital and was injured trying to get to the panel. And the lawyer for the hospital said that there's no connection between the false alarm and the fireman being in the hospital to answer it. I'd almost wanted to serve jury duty just to find out what he was going to say about that. How do you not make a connection between those two things, my friend? He must have saw our reaction because he settled the next morning before we went to back into the jury again. Uh, how, how do you make a statement like that and call yourself a, a reasoning human being? That there's no connection between the fireman being in the building and the alarm sounding. You see, we try to make a differentiation between what we believe and what we do. There's no separation between what you believe and what you do. Because if you don't believe it enough to do it, you don't believe it. Could we get an amen or an oh me out of that one? Are you awake? Maybe we ought to turn those fans up just a little bit. It's getting hot up here. I don't know about the rest of the place. And um, it, it says right here, If a man will come after me, let him deny himself. That means just simply saying no to you and to your plans, to your wishes, to your desires, to your future. And take up his cross and follow me. Now, one thing I love about being a Bible-believing Baptist is we have a symbol in our church. It's an empty cross. Because the work that was done on that cross was finished when Jesus Christ gave the testimony. It is finished on the cross. Amen? The three greatest words in all of history is, It is finished. And so we commemorate an empty cross. But Jesus said, Listen, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. Now, you can study the history books. Not until the last 25, 30 years. 
excepting in some churches, is the cross ever used for anything except for the death of the person carrying it. It was an instrument of death. We've been passing out tracts here on the street and witnessing to people for years and years, and every once in a while I have somebody walk by and try to hand them a tract. And this happened several times. A lady will reach and pull out her necklace and they'll have a little cross and she says, I'm okay, I got my cross, and keeps walking on down the street. Is that what Jesus meant by take up thy cross and follow me? Any takers for that one? Good. It's not going to work. That's not what he meant. The cross is the death of ourself. Thursday night, we're going to be finishing, uh, not finishing, but starting the pictures of Christ uh, in the Old Testament tabernacle. And uh, one of the pictures that we're not going to cover, because it's not a picture of Christ, is the brazen altar. There was always a fire burning on that brazen altar. It was the first thing you saw when you came to the door of the tabernacle. There was always a fire burning on it, a sacrifice offered every morning. And every night, plus all of the sacrifices that were offered upon it every day, it, was a, it is a picture of the death of ourself. You see, that is a daily process. When you look in the mirror in the morning, or in the afternoon, or any time you look in the mirror, what's staring back at you? is worse than any horror movie made by man. You say, Pastor. Well, in the horror movies, you kill, you kill the monster and he only comes back two or three times and then he's finally really dead, really gone. But you can kill that monster in the mirror every morning and it'll be there tomorrow morning staring at you again. Amen? Isn't that terrible? You can't get rid of that thing. You won't get rid of that thing until you go to heaven to be with the Lord. And that's why Jesus said you got to take up that cross and follow me. Because you got to get rid of yourself. We are so easily distracted. We so easily substitute our own ideas and our own desires in there and think that somehow we're following Jesus Christ. Jesus said, follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Now, we've had many people give testimony, and I'm not picking any person in, in particular. I'm not thinking about any one person. But I've, I've had and heard the testimonies of many people, very similar to what our missionary said today. He said, I had. I had it. But when it came to Jesus Christ, I had to give it up so I could have Jesus. If money's going to keep you out of heaven, get rid of it. Amen? 
If power is going to keep you out of heaven, if you think that you need to be that CEO, I remember Jack Caldwell, friend, uh, he's, he's preached here years and years ago, uh, Korean War veteran, just, I mean, he said, I was headed for corporate headquarters. He said, I was in charge of a factory, 1,500 men in the factory. He said, I was in charge of the whole thing. He said, I got up in the morning and he said, I was determined that I was going to move up and be in charge of, uh, of the company, not just the factory. And uh, he said, but then I got saved. And he said, I realized that no matter how much I had, was absolutely nothing when I was going to stand before Jesus Christ. And he said, I didn't give something up. He said, I received more from the Lord Jesus Christ when I gave up my position in the factory than I ever had and ever could have had in this world. That's what Jesus is talking about here. It says, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. How many of you had peace before you were saved? We've got an honest group here today. How many of you found peace after you got saved? How many of you, your life made sense before you were saved? How many of you, since you got saved, your life makes more sense now? Do you think that's what Jesus was talking about there when he said, if you'll save your life, you're going to lose it? I mean, pick up the newspaper. Do you think Britney Spears' life makes sense? Huh? You think Donald Trump's life makes sense? And I know I said his name wrong, but I mean, if you think that life makes sense, you need to see me for serious counseling after the service. I mean, that guy, uh, I believe it was, uh, who was it? It was either J. Paul Getty or, uh, I think it was J. Paul Getty said, I'd give everything I had for one good marriage. But Jesus said, if, if you just lose your life, if you just give it to me, you're going to save it. It'll make sense. Because I'm not working for what's here on this earth. It's going to be here today and gone tomorrow. I'm working for what's going to be in heaven someday with the Lord Jesus Christ for all eternity. Now that makes sense, amen? It says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, I like that question. It said, If you can gain the whole world, you own it all. Not like uh, Warren Buffington or some of these really rich guys. You own Warren Buffington and Bill Gates. And, uh, and the Russian oil company, whatever the name of that thing is, it's worth billions and billions and billions of dollars. You own it all. You're the ruler of the world. 
You know who's going to illustrate that point? The man the Bible calls the beast. He will gain the whole world. He will rule the whole world. It was interesting while we were sitting there in the hallway waiting for things to happen at jury duty, one of the guys we got, I got in a conversation with, he said, he said, the whole world wants one government to rule over him. I said, that's exactly what the Bible says. That ended the conversation right there. But uh, I figured I'd get it in while I could. But we stop and we, we look at this thing and we say, what would it profit if you gained the whole world? Only to be condemned to hell forever. What would you give in exchange for your soul? I mean, what, what would you exchange? What would you be willing to take for your soul? You know, New York is a city where if you're going to make it, and I don't care what the field is, if you're going to make it, you're going to have to give everything you have to do it. Right? I mean, I met the guy behind the corner, behind the counter at the deli up here around the corner. He said, I'm in at 7 o'clock every morning and I don't get off till 10 o'clock at night. Seven days a week. I'd say that's given quite a bit to work at the deli. You talk to the people that have made it. Architecture, union jobs, street sweeping, whatever it happens to be. I've met some people uh, that would sell their mother's soul if they could just make the next sale. They could just clinch that next deal. Oh, scares me to death what people would do. It's, it, but we ask this question, and, and in church and in the context here, we'd say, oh, there's nothing more valuable than my soul. It is the most precious thing I have, and it's reserved only for Jesus. And then Monday morning, we put on our work clothes, we put on our work brain, we put on our, 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 our work... Uh, uh, motivation, whatever you want to call it there, uh, that inner drive that just takes over everything and get out of my way. I'm going to make some money today. Is that what Jesus is talking about here? No, it's not. Now, God does not honor slothfulness. In fact, sometimes we Christians get the idea that once we serve Jesus, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. And, and what, the moment that we trust the Lord Jesus Christ, we're getting out the easy chair, the hammock, and, and the lemonade. And I mean, we're going to prop up our feet and listen to Christian radio the rest of our life. And it's, that's not what Jesus is talking about here, my friend. He says, You're going to lose your life. You're going to take up your cross. You're going to follow me. Because there's got to be some things done for my kingdom. You say, well, what does he want done? Well, those things are listed here in the Bible. 
And you know, we could go through a list. And and one of the things that that, that troubles me, and and as a pastor is trying to relate, that there are things we ought to do. But when we get out a list, you know, we we get out our little list here, and we say, daily Bible reading schedule, check. Church Sunday morning, check. Uh, well, I prayed today, check. I'm a good Christian. Is that what taking up his cross daily is talking about? Is that what losing your life? I mean, if you had, if somebody came up and gave you a check for $10 million, I mean a real one, not Bible bucks like we give out in the children's church. I mean the real thing. How careful would you be with that check? You know what most of us would do? What we ought to do if we had any smarts at all? Is uh, we'd call down to the precinct house and say, Somebody just gave me a check for $10 million. Could you walk me to the bank so I don't lose it? That'd be a smart thing to do now, wouldn't it? Would you um, open up your mail and, hey, one of these investment firms, they're just starting out. I'll give them my $10 million to invest in. How many would do that? Would we have anybody here who would do that? No, you'd want to find the most experienced investment firm in the city to take care of that kind of money. Now, wouldn't you? I hope you would. Otherwise, you're going to lose it. I mean, you wouldn't want to give that money to some hotshot investor who says, I'll make you $100 million in a week. And comes back and says, well, I lost it. You wouldn't. I hope you wouldn't do that. It takes time. You've got to be careful. You'd be careful with that thing if it were real, wouldn't you? And yet, how careless are we with our soul? How, how uncareful are we to involve ourselves in things that have nothing to do with this book called the Bible and are really against all the things that are in the Scripture? Well, got to earn a living. Got to do this. Got to do this. Now, here's what Jesus said. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Okay, say no. Take up his cross. That's the end of you. You're not going to get much accomplished if you're carrying a cross. Just not going to do it. The thing weighs 150 to 250 pounds. Uh, unless you're dragging it along the ground or have been to the gym and worked out all your life, you're not going to get very far with that thing, are you? And uh, it says, and follow me. You know, this thing of following Jesus is not near as complicated as people would like to have it. It is just simply doing today what God wants me to do today. It is... You know, I can tell you what God wants you to do on Sunday. Amen? That's not too hard to figure out, is it? I mean, show up. And you could even show up at 1030. It wouldn't hurt one bit. 
I, I think God would like that, don't you? And I'm not just saying it to hammer the people that came in late, but just just, just a little thing to help you along. It, it wouldn't hurt to show up at 1030. Um, what about prayer meeting? You think God wants you a prayer meeting or home watching? Is the Super Bowl today? Okay, next Sunday. Yeah, that shows you how much I keep track of that stuff. You know, there are churches that cancel evening service on Super Bowl Sunday. I'll tell you, if God can't compete with the Super Bowl, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Because that's not denying yourself. I mean, you, you've got all these things. You can sit there and record the game and just don't turn on the radio. Don't be like the little kid that his father said, I'll bet, I'll bet they're going to lose. And the son said, no. He said, they can't do it. And so the game was over, and the father said, well, I cheated. This thing was on time delay, and I already watched the game. And the boy said, I did too, but I didn't think they were dumb enough to do it twice. Don't be like that, amen? But we are all the time. When we trade the eternal for what's today. Start asking yourself a question. Let's, let's go to one more verse and then we'll be done this morning. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to stay in familiar territory here. You want to ask the questions that this, this verse is going to ask and it'll solve almost all your problems and all the questions you have to ask. It says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom is where the king reigns. And the kingdom of God has two aspects. Of course, we're looking forward to the coming kingdom when Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, rules the world from the city of peace. And we're looking forward to that day. So was Peter, and that's why he got all messed up when Jesus told him about the coming crucifixion and the resurrection. But in the book of Luke, Jesus said, Lo, behold, not here or there, for the behold... I'm quoting it wrong. For behold, the kingdom of God is where? He said, within you. Just ask yourself the question, if I do this, will it be easier for God to rule in my heart? Will He have more control of my heart or less control of my heart? Now, the next question qualifies the first, just so we don't get our own wills and desires in there. And He is... Read that next word. Okay, let's try it again. And His... One more time. And His... We're almost awake. One more time. We're almost done now. We're real close. Help me out here and we'll be finished. And His... There we go. Now, if I'm seeking... <coughs> excuse me. The place where God rules and His righteousness... At the same time, that's going to give me just about everything I need to know to decide whether an activity is what Jesus wants me to do or what I want to do. 
You see, that's the problem with this purpose-driven thing that goes everywhere today. The biggest selling book in our in my lifetime is the purpose-driven church, the purpose that purpose-driven series. And here's what the problem is. It takes your desires and your wishes and your thoughts and your desires and transposes them over top of this book called the Bible and makes what you want what God wants. That's blasphemy. God is not interested in what you want. Because left to ourselves, our choice will always be wrong. We don't know what God knows. We don't desire what God desires. It's not in our nature to want those things. You wonder why you struggle with temptation? Why we all struggle with temptation? It's because we want the things that are in the world. We think somehow we're going to get something. But Jesus said, listen, you deny yourself. You take up that cross. He says, you follow me. He said, you lose your life for my sake. He said, and you'll find it. Because one day I'm coming back and I'm going to reward every man according to his works. He said, and if you follow me, you'll have rewards. And if you have not, everything you thought you had will be less than nothing when you stand before the holiness of God and hear his judgment upon your soul for not having given your life to him. He died on the cross for us. It's a very small thing that we give our lives to serve Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You this morning. And Lord, the simple question we ask this morning, what are You going to give? What are we going to hold on to that's going to keep us out of heaven? What are we going to hold on to that's going to cause us to lose those rewards that Jesus wants to give us? What are we going to have to give up so that we can take up that cross and follow Jesus, so that we can lose that life and enjoy the things that Jesus wants us it's just so far beyond our human understanding. We have no sense of it, Lord. We ask that you would work during this invitation time. Lord, as, as I've prayed this morning already, and I know the hearts of, of many of our people here, we, we come needy, Lord. And we ask that you would help us to face this week living these words from your book. We pray for surrender this morning to your will. We pray for obedience to your word. We pray that we would be willing to give ourselves up that we may find real life in Jesus Christ. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Brother Franz, if you'd come and lead us in the hymn of invitation.